Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Thread Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we've invited our resident networking guru, Bob Rose, to come back and help us expand on some of our earlier discussions about the value of network data and general visibility for security operations. So thanks for coming back again, Bob. Hey, Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. And um, just to give everybody context, because our listenership tends to rotate uh, quite a bit, I just want to spend a short time uh, on this topic uh, before we get into the metadata topic specifically uh, by reviewing some of the basics about why network visibility is so important. I mean, security teams, they get all these alerts and they get all this information from their security tools. Sometimes they wonder why they need more. Um, so, you know, they get that kind of data, but most of it, and this is my first, uh, my personal history, first connection with learning why I needed network data was because I get IP addresses tied to every alert. It just says, hey, this event on this IP address, and I'm going, to, that doesn't help me. Well, yeah, and, and you know, the thing is, is it, and it comes back to what, what we always say um, is if you can't see it, you can't manage it. And sometimes it just comes down to to making sure that it's the right type of data that you're looking at. Um, you know, certainly it's um, a DNS and DHCP activity data. It's performance data that you want to be able to get insights into. Um, there's IPAM data. You just mentioned that. There's IPAM data in terms of data that's that's on-premise for, for those that run a, an on-prem data center. There's that data as well that's that's in the cloud. Um, it's utilization data. Um, we see data in, in layer two in particular, um, you know, where where you have the link layer really essentially. Um, it's the MAC address, but no really IP address at that point. There's there's layer three data, which is really your networking layer. Um, and, and where you see switching and routing. And so all of that data, all those endpoints, all those switches, all those routers, um, you know, I think one of the things that's really uh, important is, is, you know, those tools connect to Active Directory, right? And, and they tell you who that user is at that IP address. And, uh, but, but in today's environment, Bob, it just doesn't really cut it necessarily where you have so many devices, um, and especially those that, that don't have a user, especially as you've seen in cyber attacks. And um, you see these uh, have been targeted by bad actors, especially a lot more recently. And, um, you know, it's, it's not um, just only the usual suspects like routers and, and switches and firewalls and printers and those kinds of things. There's so much in terms of, you know, bring your own device and IoT and OT all of that now is is coming into um, purview, and and that all comprises part of the the metadata. Would, would you be able to maybe expand on the OT? Give us an example of that because everybody's familiar with IoT, and the first picture they have in their mind is thermostats and those kinds of things. Is mm -hmm. that's all we really were talking about for the first four or five years? But in recent years, IoT slash OT are starting to blur, and they're getting much more advanced. So, can you give us an example of an operational technology? Uh, implementation? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, we we have a customer, for example, uh, here at Infoblox in the, the chemical oil and gas industry. And, you know, they're on every continent and they connect thousands of on-prem and remote valves. They have flow control. They have programmable logic controllers. 
They have telemetry. They have a host of other oil and gas and chemical devices and machinery. And many of those systems require to be up and operational 24 seven. Um, they have to be redundant. They have to be resilient, um, absolutely critical. Um, if any of those systems go down, the recovery speed is essential and, and it really continues to make um, an impact to the organization. Um, I, I have an example, Bob, where um, this one particular uh, customer, there was a, a hurricane and their refinery and chemical plant was knocked offline and all of the DNS and DHCP communications were unavailable. And uh, there was a failure, of course, in the data center. And whether it's a thing like that or a security event, right? The, the, it's the, really the same impact that's being knocked offline. And um, that can cost millions of dollars. Avoiding those service interruptions and the agility to get those back up and running quickly, you know, absolutely essential. Yeah, it's interesting that just losing DNS, for example, can have the exact same impact as if a semi ran into one of your pipes and destroyed the pipe, just totally severing uh, that kind of function. But um, and, and so we've kind of come from one extreme, you know, we, I was mentioning IOT ten, tends to be thought of as, you know, home devices, the little cameras and things like that, because that's the way most people actually got their first uh, actual hands on an IOT device. Um, you've gone to the other extreme, operational technologies, which they now refer to that as IOT quite often in the industry as well. They are not uh, separate things. They're starting to blur together. And I want to make sure we also keep in mind um, just things like HVAC systems, um, mm -hmm. third-party air conditioning systems, third-party, you know, you have point-of-sale systems. You may, you, you run an apartment complex and you have vending machines that are also connected to the internet, but they're connected to your internet. They're on your internet. And they might uh, be compromised and be used to actually penetrate uh, your defenses since you've already let them on your network. Oh, well, they're in a special safe area, but you just need to know about any kind of device that connects to the internet that is anyway connected to your systems. It's, um, and, and so how do we track those kinds of devices? How do we know what's on? I mean, cause you mentioned BYOD. I don't know when somebody's brought, got a new iPad for their birthday and brought it in and connected it to the network. How do we, how do we uh, get that visibility? Yeah. And no, no, that's really a great question. Um, you know, the, the industry, there's, there's lots of tools out there, tools like IP address management, um, discovery tools in particular are, are really important. You have uh, discovery tools that are on-prem uh, in the data center. You, we also have discovery tools that are out there to find, uh, you know, assets that are out in the public cloud environment. And, and more and more uh, folks are moving to a, a cloud environment. So not only is the data center discovery important, but the cloud discovery is important. And then there's also tools out there like network change and configuration management tools that also do that type of discovery. So they provide proactive visibility. They can look at firmware. They can look at what your patching needs. And um, again, there, there are resources, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about some today a little bit, where there's um, end of support alerts that come up. Because imagine, Bob, if you have an asset on the network and you didn't know, maybe you were tracking it with a spreadsheet, and the next thing you know, it's um, out, of, out of service and support, and now that becomes a vulnerability. How do you see that? Well, without having some of those tools, it's really important. Um, you, you also need information to support the threat in, in investigation and, and instant 
incident response as well. So there are tools out there that can help us uh, get a better uh, insight into that rich metadata, that that rich attribute data that um, you know involves the things that are connected to the network. All right. Well, and I want to uh, congratulate you. Um, I should have introduced you as a networking enthusiast as well as a guru, because I know it's really hard for you. You love to talk about this. And I warned you a couple times early on, let's try and get through this in the first 10 minutes. And we've done it. So now we're going to get into the metadata, because metadata is one of those terms that marketing keeps abusing. Um, you know, my first experience with this was when I was just using it uh, for a product that was doing packet captures, but I couldn't keep capturing packets. That was a ton of information. The storage costs were going astronomical. So instead, we started collecting what we were calling metadata, which was kind of a subset of that. And we would keep some packets, but for most of them, we simply analyzed them and extracted a few pieces of information. So for us, we use the term meta, but we we're actually talking about a subset. So can you explain what is metadata really um, that brings this value to the security team? Yeah, exactly. Great question. Um, so what is metadata? Well, it's the rich data that tells you things like what's the IPN MAC address? When did it appear? Um, what's the associated uh, subnet and VLAN? Um, and specifically, what are some of the device attributes? Um, what are the associated DNS records? That's really important to know. Who's the user? Can you map them? You know, where is the user now? Where have they been? What have they touched? Um, what about the DHCP status? And and again, I, I alluded just a moment ago to, to attribute data. You know, what is the IP address, the device name, the manufacturer, the model, the operating system version that you're on? Um, the date, the time stamping. Um, there's other defining data that frankly can really be helpful in terms of providing current and contextual information for uh, historical investigations, for audit and for um, compliance, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, and, and I wanna highlight a couple things in here because um, and, and let the audience know, you've actually uh, prepared ahead of time with a number of good use cases that you wanna make sure you're, we give you time to share, which is again, why that 10 minute mark was so important to hit. But you'd mentioned a couple of things and I wanna make sure everybody understands some of the value because it sounds like, oh, more information is always good, right? But things like um, associated subnet and VLAN locations, mm -hmm. being able to know where something physically is, um, we don't think of that typically in security. We, we, we worry about it logically and we try to associate it to a user and then we say, oh, but it's a printer. But now that we're in a world of BYOD and things like that um, and, and IoT, uh, I worked with a company that they could not figure out what was chewing up a ton of their bandwidth, but they could see the device. They just had no idea where it was. And what they learned was that they had somebody who'd set up a, a, a camera system watching their kids and it was streaming in high def <laughs> to a monitor that they had set up and a little IOT monitor. It was like a baby monitor system, but this little home device was actually chewing up a lot of, of bandwidth for a department that was actually in another building. They were using like wireless to connect it infrared and, and they didn't have a whole lot of bandwidth to spare, but they couldn't figure out where it was physically. So a lot of this information, I just want to tell our listeners, it may sound superficial, but there are situations when every piece of this information becomes absolutely important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so critical. I, I think another thing, Bob, you know, just to note is we, we have so much data. There's such a wealth of data that's available um, 
for for folks that are managing their networks and and specifically um, in terms of threat mitigation data um, and a lot of folks perhaps don't really realize what's there um, and a lot of that information bob we can certainly get access to through query logging i know some folks you know they hear query logging and it's like ooh, we have to be careful because there's challenges with that you know there's there are resource challenges um, the os facilities can't handle the thousands of messages per second sometimes um, how do you store all of that information how do you make it searchable what about making that redundant so that especially if it goes back a number of years you have access to that how do you log that information and parse it um, and the good news is, is that there are tools out there that can help give you historical context. And uh, a moment ago, you were mentioning some of those use cases. Um, and, and Bob, we've seen some, especially around the idea of, of access logging. Uh, perhaps you want to know, um, you know, um, which of your clients are querying Facebook. And, you know, the key is, is you can see who queried what, what was queried by whom, but it's that fast, easy visibility into who's doing what. That is so important. Um, and, and you have audit and, and compliance too, looking back historically. And you know what is a specific client queried? Um, if you have on-demand insight um, for audit and compliance, it's easily accessible at your fingertips and you can come and, and see and, and search large um, sets of data and be able to parse and visualize that and and pull that data out so it's actionable. That's another you know key use case. Um, Bob, you know well security forensics. That's another one. What happens if you have a system that was compromised last week and what other systems has it communicated with? Um, being able to get in and see that. Uh, detail uh, data and to identify botnets or infected users, it all helps to quickly identify um, the impact. And, and you know, you can get into to very granular detail as well and pinpoint um, the exact information you're looking for. So all of those are different cases where metadata can be brought up to the forefront and, and you can see exactly what's going on and it really speeds the transition of finding uh, problems and remediating uh, threats using that data. Well, and, and I also want to make sure everybody realizes that some of this can actually replace some security tools. I mean, for example, the access logging, you gave a great example of Facebook. Um, there's a lot of tools out there that are they're sold as being able to help you understand when you've got a user who's uploading terabytes of data, you know, and sending it out through um, you know, some sort of cloud storage service or, or things like that. And so they buy these specialized tools when the key data you need might just be inside your network data already, either in your DNS, your DHCP, IP address uh, information, particularly if you've got an IPAM system to store all that. You may already have that data sitting around. You don't need to spend a bunch of money on another tool to be able to identify that we have a particular user who is using, um, you know, a particular service a lot. You know, they start standing out. This stuff is anomalous. It, it shines like a, you know, like a big red fiery sign um, if you just know where to look. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's important. Um, but also, you know, you mentioned the historical context. Um, one thing that I found was very frustrating early on when I would try to do some uh, investigations, things that went back months because, you know, today it is not uncommon 
for us to find out, hey, we've been breached. And then you start digging into it and you find out, hey, we were breached eight months ago. Um, and But to find that out, you need that historical information. And IP addresses are not infinite. They aren't, they don't last forever. Um, you, they'll, they'll change over time, particularly for a lot of those devices we talked about, BYOD and things like that. Every time they connect, they just, you know, DHCP hands them a random address. Being able to connect that when you see an event from a month ago that points to one IP address and the event today that caught your attention has a different IP address, being able to connect all that requires that historical context. So the, the storage uh, needs and those kinds of issues that we talked about, I've, I found far too many companies that just say, well, we just keep it for 90 days. Um, and that isn't enough in today's security environment. Um, honestly, I would recommend that, you know, 90 days for certain products, okay. Other products, you might want to make sure you got six months to a year worth of the data. Um, networking information is definitely the foundation for all of it. So yeah, that's not one you want to skimp on when, uh, when it's talking about historical data. Well, yeah, and that's so important for audit and compliance. I mean, we've all been under the stress of having an auditor standing saying, okay, so where's the data, right? And and how can you get it? Like, where do you go? And, you know, to have that data that's right there at your fingertips, um, that you can pull it up, um, you know, it, it really um, gives you peace of mind and it also helps you get to the, the root cause, root issue. And I think that's absolutely essential. Now, we talked about, you know, recording query data, but um, as you educated me on several years ago, uh, which is why I still turn to you for networking guidance, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of queries. Um, you're not just recording every DNS query. There's a lot of different kinds of queries. Do you want to explain some of that? Yeah, you know, DNS query is, is really just one of three methods of re requesting name servers. Um, you know, hand to handle a name lookup. So a DNS query is also you know, known as a DNS request and, and at the risk of, of getting too basic here, um, you know, we don't have the time really to go into kind of a, a deep dive on on these various types of queries, but, but at a high level, it's really just a, a request for information sent from a, a client or a user's computer to ask a DNS server for the IP address. And that means that the DNS client is querying a DNS server and, um, and it's getting information related to that domain. And so queries can occur between resolvers and name servers and also between name servers and other name servers. And, um, you know, the queries can be answered by the query name server um, from its DNS database uh, from previously cached query results or from a referral to another server. And there's basically, Bob, three basic types of DNA uh, DNS um, uh, queries, these are recursive queries, they're iterative queries, and they're inverse queries. And to be able to get access to this information and have a log of this kind of information, it's really important because it helps you understand um, past responses to the types of queries that are there. Um, and, and again, getting access to that really helps to um, improve your uh, response, your security response, and get to those kinds of, of root issues that are causing um, troubles on your network. Yeah, and there's there's so many so many ways that this information is valuable, um, and, and we're not even getting into the ways that you know um, if if you're using like a public 
you know, uh, DNS resolver, those things get compromised all the time. And, uh, you know, there's so many other problems with the query process that you really need to make sure you understand it, make sure that it's reliable. So that the information is reliable because I know DNS, uh, when I talk to threat hunters in particular, they just, it's a gold mine for them. They it love is. that. Yeah. And when I talk to investigators, uh, you know, the analysts who are responsible with digging into, okay, we have an alert. Is it alert? Really? Is it really a problem? Um, or if they find out it is an alert and then, so how bad is it? Um, again, DNS, uh, I've had one customer tell me that it, it cuts their research time by more than half, just having all that stuff together. Now, if they have to go out and get all the logs um, and pull it all together, yeah, that's a, that's a nightmare because anybody who's had to go through a log uh, knows what pain it is. But if you've got the, the tools like your, your IPAM solution, pulls a lot of that stuff all into one place where you can quickly on demand query the information about the device, query, you know, get the information about the user, get the metadata. If you have it all on your fingertips, you can make a lot of decisions very quickly. Um, then that DNS data, like you said, having that historical information, I can now go back and say, okay, so this person today, the alerts went off, but it looks like it's because they visited this site three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Something came in, sat, stayed low and slow, didn't do anything ugly until today. Mm -hmm. Who else went there? By having that historical information, I can now find that I have another 20 systems. And thank heavens, those, those employees haven't come in today. They haven't turned their machines on, mm -hmm. which is why they haven't gone bad yet. But now I know in advance and I know how big my problem is. There's just so much value in having all this query data accessible. And like you said, searchable and, and, and on-demand access to it. Yeah, and you may not. Obviously, there's so much of it that you're you may not even, you know, be concerned about. But in the moment when you need to be concerned about it, is it searchable? Is it accessible? Can you actually make that actionable data? That is absolutely uh, important to be able to do that. Yeah, my wife used to give me a hard time about some of the stuff I would take with us camping because she says we never use it. Why do you bring it? And then. One time we went out and when we woke up, there'd been a rainstorm. Our truck was stuck in the mud and she was glad I had all that stuff handy. Exactly. You never know if you're going to need it. Uh, the fact is that by listening to podcasts like this, by taking courses from uh, you know reputable organizations and just on the job learning, you learn over time. There are times when almost all of this is useful. So don't get rid of it. If you're if you're a hoarder, um, you know, this is right up your line. If you're a little more economical, you're going to have to learn certain hoarding practices and start storing this kind of information. Um, but we've talked about a lot of historical. What about detecting live something happening right now? Um, what does this data help us uh, identify? Yeah, well, you know, good example is tunneling, right? Um, if you have malicious data, um, malicious activity going on right now, you know, tunneling is a is a is a huge concern. Um, there's a number of use cases. I just you know we we're kind of getting short on time, but I just want to um, highlight a couple of them. So what if you have malware and DNS tunneling, and it's a client? So you know that your security teams are really looking for bad actors, and especially if you have a bad a bad actor that that is. Um, with a lot of outbound malicious queries. So these are like RPZ hits and, and those DNS tunneling events pop up and you can see them in a given time frame. Well, if you know about that, you can actually take specific action against that client um, to help limit your risk. Another one, Bob, is, is for example, 
um, tunneling if you have a, a specific category. Now, uh, today we've, we've just seen a proliferation of applications and some applications are actually designed to use DNS tunneling like Spotify and Sophos. And sometimes there's some antivirus ones as well that are out there. But how do you really discern the difference between the malicious ones and the legitimate ones? Surely you want to close down the malicious ones, but you don't necessarily want to to lock down the legitimate requests. So that's another you know use case where metadata can really help identify live activities, uh, malicious activities. Another thing is if you have DNS tunneling going on. Um, again, your security teams are going to be looking for uh, clients attempting to exfiltrate, pull data out of your organization. And, um, you know, if, if you can identify those and, and stop them in their tracks, that's absolutely uh, uh, critical. Yeah, I th and I think uh, the data infiltration, exfiltration concept, the idea of, of stealing data, they don't steal terabytes of data because it's not effective or efficient, I should say, over DNS. But most of these attacks start early on where they're just stealing some passwords and some other basic information, you know, while they're doing their early, you know, pen testing and things like that. And that's easy to hide over DNS, just, you know, bury it into some uh, fake DNS requests. And then the infiltration, I've been surprised that it's not terribly common, but we're starting to see uh, where things like ransomware to avoid being detected, they'll they'll call out over DNS and receive the encryption keys before they start encrypting your system over DNS. And now you mentioned um, an example to me uh, when we were planning this session that you were talking to a customer and it only took like 18 packets for the AI in your tool to identify infiltration. So it wasn't like, uh, or a tunnel, a malicious tunnel. It wasn't because, hey, this this thing's connecting to a bad site. It was actually dynamic. Is it? I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it was a third-party test, and it was like, okay, you have an incumbent, right? And, and there, look, there's tons of security tools that are out there, um, and so you know, uh, the tool that we had was being tested against a well-known leading uh, branded solution, and um, this test started, and within 18 packets, um, the tool that we had actually shut everything down so it couldn't be breached and the other tool that was running didn't even discover it at all and and when the testers stopped they came back and said hey you know we think there's something wrong with your tool but in reality it turned out that hey look um it did exactly what it was supposed to do in fact it did it so well that it it leads to you know some folks um into to what they might refer to as a regret by, right, because today we have, you know, many of these tools and solutions are on subscription for like, oh, three years, two or three years. And then, you know, you find a solution that, you know, um, now you're locked into and you go, wow, there's a better solution out there. And now you're stuck. And and that that can be really challenging. But to be able to to identify something that fast, Bob, in 18 packets, is, is just absolutely outstanding. You want fast, you want you know the ability to identify and see what's going on and to take an action that um, protects your data, your infrastructure and, and uh, absolutely critical. Well, one of the reasons I really like having you on the show is because you're always so full of stories and examples um, uh, and you haven't disappointed us today either. 
Um, but what is disappointing is uh, we only got through two of the three topics we thought we would discuss today. And so and I think we did this, we had this happen last October, November again, where we didn't finish everything. So we're going to have to have you come back for part two. Uh, we'll take a look at your schedule and, and get that on and have a part two on it. Um, and to give uh, our listeners a bit of a, a, a sneak peek, you'd mentioned uh, that there were some case studies that you were going to talk about where you can use this data to proactively. I mean, we went from research information to real-time detection, this last little section, that we're going to talk a little bit about the proactive ability to see when you've got devices that actually have vulnerabilities on them that you may not even remember them being on your network because, you know, if it don't, doesn't break, it doesn't catch your attention. Right. Um, and a lot of other things that kind of go towards this zero trust. Now, it's an abused term. We're not going to talk about zero trust, but we will be talking about how do you make sure that you can trust all of the stuff that's on your network to not be a security risk? So um, I, I'm hoping that uh, you'll, you're open to coming back another time. You know, Bob, I love uh, getting together with you and, and um, talking about these things. Um, and certainly, I think it, it really helps folks to, to understand kind of what's out there and what to look for. So uh, certainly um, look forward to, to joining you again. Well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, at this point, I'm going to thank our viewers and our listeners for your time and ask you to join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.